It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast that helps us out. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He's the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gathering of HRs, IOs, recruiters, and everyone who likes to help people in the world of business, including one actor. Uh, And Jeremy, today we're gonna take a look at how to get employees to solve company challenges while giving sense of purpose. Um, I really like the notion of the employees solving company issues because it gives them much more sense of buy-in to the organization and, and really sort of goes for what I believe is important is employees having that sense that they're part of something greater than you know just a nine-to-five job. Um, so you know, to me, that's sort of the, the first part. <laughs> But how, you know, while giving them a sense of purpose, is that how those sort of come together? That if if the organizations and the employees solve the issues, they're really taking more of a sense of ownership. They are. And there's a lot of different things that are included here, like innovation and lot, lots of other variables. And Tom, I was thinking about this. Tom, ask me why I love the field of IO psychology so much. So I'm just pretending you're asking me. And the answer is because everything seems to come together and the, the dots just seem to connect by themselves. Tom, we've talked so much about the paradox of leadership. In order to become powerful, you have to give power away. So, of course, looking up articles, looking up some research for today's topic, I find a couple articles and one just stings me. It's called Paradoxal Leadership and Employee Innovation organization-based self-esteem and harmonious passion as sequential mediators. As always, the titles are going to be a mouthful, but how do you break this down? So what is paradoxical leadership? I'm going to get into this a little bit, get the uh, the juices flowing in everyone's minds. Paradoxical, I'm, I'm reading verbatim, paradoxical, this is interesting, leadership is defined as leadership characterized by seemingly competing yet interrelated behaviors used to meet the organization's structural demands and subordinates' individual needs, allowing employees to act on their own while maintaining control of them. I've read that 10 times. I have no idea what that means. It's just, it's a lot. It makes it makes no sense to me. So of course, you know, I'm reading on and on and on, but we pull start to pull a couple of, of the things out. And we start to look at what 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 are the correlations based on the study. So we'll get the ground we'll get the ground nice and paved here for a smooth start. Basically, the paradox of leadership 
is in order to become powerful, you have to become, you have to give power away. So the paradoxical leader maintains control while letting go of control. Much, much easier, easier said than done. I will note, I'll throw these references up in the chat and one will include a link. There's a, a blog I wrote a, a while ago. It's, I think the exact uh, name of this topic. You can go on the blog section of CBOC, click down into categories, click my name. It's right there. Plus I'll share it, but it's there because in the blog, I answer some of the concerns. Well, what about, you know, giving away important company knowledge? What about X? What about the political um, clout that people have? So that, that'll help answer some things as well, because again, it's easier said than done. But as a result of, of leaders doing this and saying, okay, here's the share goals. I maintain control of you as your boss, but I want you and I encourage you to think independently and I want you to have autonomy and I encourage you to take risks. And even if I encourage you to take risks, I'm going to back you up when things don't go that well, which again is really hard because every boss, they're, they have bosses. So their feet are going to be held to the fire because you're, you know, each person is the captain of their individual ships. So, uh, but as a result of this type of paradoxical leadership i'm reading verbatim here followers may followers may experience greater work greater work meaningfulness and psychological empowerment and feel safe to engage in innovative behaviors duh right so if you're being encouraged to take risk and your boss is saying okay do that and i'm going to break i'm going to share a story tom you've heard this story before i don't know if this is good or bad tom because either you hear me repeat myself a lot and it gets boring or these stories and examples just become so ingrained there was a i was at a summit some kind of a conference and there was a gentleman that uh was in my cohort and he was the owner of this multi multi-million dollar construction company and he said what they would do was when they couldn't just figure out a, a this a problem, a construction problem, a logistics problem, something really tough. And after all the, the hot shots went around and they tried to figure it out, eventually they would say, all right, let's bring in the admins and the, the, the janitors and everyone. And they would get them all there, get them on the floor and, and just say, here's the problem. And they would get a lot of their answers from that. So now they're giving, again, title here, giving your employees. Tom, what's the title for today? How to get employees to solve company challenges while giving sense of purpose. Thank you, Tom. So with that title today, and we're staying on track, for example, one of the, there, there was some, something having to do, I'm going to really mess this up with, I don't know, how the crates were loading or something. But one of the admins said, well, my my grandmother used to put this concoction together, this adhesive concoction to fix something. And they were able to do that and fix the crates and solve this thousands and thousands of dollar problem with time being just taken away because of this problem and issues and quality control. Because again, they're getting their employees to solve the problems and giving them a, a sense of purpose in the meantime. And part of this also means it doesn't necessarily have to be you, the employees on your team. This can be any em employees. There's something called uh, quick response teams. So QRTs, where you get people from different levels in an organization and different functions in an organization, because 
there's a lot of knowledge there, a lot of knowledge, and it helps us from being stuck in our silos and our functional fixedness and our mental sets of how we normally solve problems. And I'll say it uh, again and again, just take 16 people in your organization, you're probably going to have an average of over 100 years of experience, uh, maybe maybe like 70 years of experience just in that company, well over 100, maybe 200 years of actual experience in the workplace, and then hundreds of years of actual life experience. And that's a lot. And when we can branch out and kind of have this uh, these fractiles of knowledge and of uh, the ability to solve problems, you can solve intense bangers of organizational challenges by doing this, Tom. Uh, well, it's it, like I believe everything you say, and it, and, and it you know makes sense to me. Better, but, you better, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to spend you know the last couple of years talking to HR professionals and IO psychologists. But I see organizations all the time where, you know, we talk about it. It's like, well, this is common knowledge now. Well, they just haven't heard the message yet. I mean, trying to get employees to solve issues makes a lot of sense. But I still see lots of organizations where the leader feels like they need to solve every single problem that, you know, they have all this wonderful knowledge that people below them don't have. And even when those people, you know, if they're doing a great job, they get promoted. They're now in, you know, a position of even more leadership, but they're not even allowing the person who they've been cultivating, who's replaced them in that former position to do the job. They're still micromanaging. Now they've got two jobs. Um, so, you know, it, it, and you get into it, all of a sudden there's lots of issues in those organizations. And going this direction with involving people and getting employees who have that frontline knowledge to solve those issues is incredibly smart, but <laughs> but they ain't hearing it. You know, there there is so much need for IO psychologists all through North America working with organizations and getting them on track because it does affect their bottom line, but they ain't hearing the message. Um, so you know, how do we bridge that gap and and you know get employees solving problems? Um, Lee, let's go to you. You know, when when I was still active duty, I had a I had a civil engineering officer tell me one time. He said he was training a bunch of brand new uh, engineering officers, and he said, "Okay, here's your here's your problem. See that field over there? I need a flagpole in it. How do you do it?" And they start going, "Well, you're going to need to you know measure this and this much and concrete, whatever else." And he said, "No, that's not how you do it. You say, hey, chief, I need a flagpole in that that uh, field there.'" And one magically appears. He said, you don't have to do it. You just have to know who to tell to do it. And, you know, and I, I thought that that, you know, of course, I was the chief that he would do that to. But, um, you know, <clears throat> but I thought that that was really keen, you know, to say, you know, look, it's not your job. Just let it go. And and I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know. But I, I like to bring people in and say, OK, here's a problem. How would you fix it? You know, you, you brought me a problem. And, you know, and some people say, you know, don't bring a problem if you don't have a solution. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, that's kind of ridiculous because then you, nobody's ever going to bring you a problem if you don't, if they don't know how to fix it. But that's where the conversation starts. Well, what would you do? And and, and you start that conversation and, and maybe they have some wild idea. You know, maybe they've got their grandmother's adhesive recipe. I don't know. But, uh, you know, 
they start just throwing stuff out and you, and you, you just take everything. You don't, you don't tell them it's dumb. You don't go, you don't tell them why it won't work. You just, you just take it all no matter how outlandish it is. And you make them feel safe telling you their ideas, no matter how outlandish it is. And you may have to take a couple of outlandish ideas and, and, you know, do the Ginsu on it and, and put them together and come out with something workable. But all of a sudden you have a solution and one that you may never have thought of. I mean, I've had people bring me stuff and I'm like, I, I'm glad I never would have got that. And it was elegant and it was efficient. And, uh, and most importantly, it solved the problem. And the people got, I, I made sure they got credit. One thing, because that's, that's a big thing because they, you know, I mean, why should I give you anything if you're going to take credit for it? So I gave them the credit and they got the ownership of it. And they took pride in their work when they would do it. And you go, wow, that's amazing. And I never would have thought of that, man. That's awesome. You know, Hey boss, man, check out what, you know, Bobby over here did, you know, how great is that? And all of a sudden Bobby's over here with the puffed out chest and, you know, and a guy who may have been thinking about doing, you know, exercising other options in his life is all of a sudden going, this is where I need to be. Uh, so, so is it about pride Lee? Because, you know, if I, if I'm a leader and I'm going to do something amazing, but I'm doing it in the fashion that we recommend, uh, you know, people are going to come to me and go, your team is amazing. And I, as a leader, have to go, yes, they're, they're wonderful. They're totally amazing. They're doing a great job. You know, I, I don't really have the, the ability to go, well, they're amazing because I let them do all the work, um, which is actually kind of true. And, you know, you, as a leader, you need to be a leader. So is it just pride where I want the praise? Well, I mean, you got some pride, you got some ego, uh, you know, there's there's some some natural personality that you have to overcome yourself. Right. Because uh and, and you know, and I don't know, this may be more prevalent in men too, you know, you have that ego issue more in men. Um, but you you have to overcome that. You know, when I got promoted into a leadership position, my thought was I don't care about awards for me. I think it looks better if my people got awards. So I, you know, give it to that guy. I've already been promoted. Give it to that guy. He did great stuff. And so, <clears throat> yeah, you have to kind of take that step back. And when they go, you know, your team's doing awesome things, you go, yes, they did. You know, or or you just say, wait, but you don't just go, yeah, I'm the bomb. I did everything. I'm awesome. No, you go, I got some great people. I got some smart people. In fact, I see you got a project coming up. I got this guy over here that I think would really be an asset to that project team. And you spread that wealth, and now you're 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 cross pollinating. You're increasing knowledge. You're increasing teamwork. Uh, you're potentially increasing retention and job satisfaction. And and even you know something that we don't always take into account is when people say, "Hey, where do you work? I work for this great organization." And so now we've got advocates and cheerleaders out in the world in our employees because we made them feel a part of something. And we gave them ownership and they're like, I work for this great company that I really do great things at. Instead of people looking at the help wanted ads for their next position. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. I think I've, I've also found it helpful in helping uh, uh, team members expand their thought process. And so when they go ahead and solve a problem, maybe it's not a perfect solution or whatever, or if they get a little stumped and you start to ask them a couple questions, it helps to expand how they think and um, without having to tell them initially 
the process to go through because it means a lot more when they're faced with, you know, a, a bump in the road or whatever. And you then you go through the thought process on how do you think through this, the solution and meet all the needs that you need to meet for the organization. So it really gives an opportunity to help expand their thought process and going through that as well. Yeah. You know, if, if we can get them thinking, that's probably the first step. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I'm just going to touch on what both Lee and Linda Ann said. I think a part of it is, you know, helping leaders to not worry about getting credit. I think that is a big thing, you know, people feeling like I want to put my stamp on this. But I think over time, when you develop your team and they're the ones cultivating all the great outputs for you, I think it's helping them understand that that will be salient to their leaders, right? So it is about removing that ego, like Lee was saying, and allowing them to switch from I to we, and that it's still their successes, even if it's not their efforts, but that can be a cognitive disconnect sometimes for people. I also think another interesting part of it is the fear of team failure. I think that stops a lot of leaders like that. There's true not trust in their people, you know, especially if it's someone who's high in impression management and cares a lot about organizational politics, there can be that pressure to be always perfect. My team never makes mistakes but we have to bring in that human element where that's a part of the process. A lot of organizational growth is a process and we have to go through making the mistake to reach, you know, the best product that may not never reached otherwise. And then lastly, I really like Linda Ann's point around team growth. And I think that really relates to this like part of team failure as it relates to delegation because I find models of delegation really fascinating because the truth of delegation is it is hard at first. It's like this process where you start at the bottom and you may double or triple your time that it takes to do something because you're teaching and you're learning and you're engaging. But then it's a, all of these are long-term strategies with long-term payoffs when eventually your team grows and they teach others and they blossom. And then all of this work that you would have had to been doing yourself, you're in that fear mode of controlling everything, you can really let go. And eventually you'll have all stars that are doing it for you. It does take time. And, and you know, a couple of questions pop into my mind for you. Are we doing a good job in developing our teams? And as you said, you know, it takes time if you're going to go down this path because you're teaching. Um, do organizations rush too much? Do we leave everything you know, we should be dealing with this for six months, but we've only got six weeks. Is that sort of the standard standard operating mode for most organizations? You know, I hate to always say it, but it depends. But that being said, I think, yes, I think right now we're in a culture where busyness is becoming a status symbol, which I find really fascinating. People are no longer asking, like, how are you doing? It used to be like, I'm fine. You're fine, you know. Now it's like, I'm busy. Well, I'm busier. (laughs) And I think we see that in the work culture of like always needing these instant outputs, you know, not always giving the time. And I also think one other big factor is work overload. You know, people just being so overloaded at the workplace where sometimes they're expected to do the job of two or three, especially companies facing a lot of layoffs right now. That's becoming more common. You lose half your workforce, not hiring anymore, but expect the same amount of output. Um, So I think that, you know, those are a lot of factors that can influence leaders not even feeling like they have the time to do the delegation. So, David, I think you have your mic on. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, So, Jeremy, this requires a lot of change. 
And change is difficult. But, you know, even if we look at what's going on right now with remote work, um, there seems to be lately a lot of pushback. You know, everyone, you know, or not everyone, because most employees want to have, find some sort of hybrid work if they can. Uh, but we're seeing even now, like, and I don't know if this is happening in the United States yet, but I'm starting to see downtown business associations who are now complaining that, you know, downtown is dying because everyone is now doing remote work and they're looking for, you know, ways to get people back into the office where that might not be the solution. You know, it might be a future where we're seeing a lot of downtown, you know, office buildings turned into residential properties but change is difficult and this is a great opportunity for change because we've seen so much change in the last few years but then you know then there's the pushback of we just want to get everyone back in the office and if you follow that mindset changes like this are not going to occur we're not going to see leaders taking advantage of you know getting their employees to to really get involved with the organization so how do we open the, the discussion even? Maybe this for this top for this topic, if, if leaders, managers are looking at it, maybe don't consider it a change. Maybe it doesn't really have to be change. When you look at, yeah, so when you look at change, all the different scales, especially with your large scale changes, right? You've got to give at least six months after the change is done for it to take place. A lot of companies prematurely say, well, that didn't work. And they're halfway through even the change implementation without even giving people the chance to practice, get acclimated, and then be superstars with whatever that change is. And we look at the scale of what this change is, it all it comes down to perspective a lot of the times. Is this really change or is it really just managers, supervisors, leaders saying, I'm going to take it easy on myself. I don't really need to solve all these problems. Well, I don't know. I go ask Jack, <laughs> you know. So it's it's really it's almost just a problem solving tool and it's giving everyone a, a chance to not have to get so deep into the weeds. Going back to something you were saying earlier about um, with, with people jumping into problem solving right away and the micromanaging issue, if you're in a leadership position, it's it's really important. It's hard. I get it. We're human, but it's hard to get away from all right, I used to be the master at this task and now I got promoted, so now I'm leading. You just take your eyes and you focus on the person instead of the task, and that's really it. You just, I'm going to focus on this person, empower them, ask them questions, give them support. It's really the easiest, hardest, easiest, hardest, easiest, hardest, depends on how you look at it, thing to do. And if you're a boss out there, why not just give yourself, give yourself a little bit of a break? Have a, like one or two more pieces of communication. Tell your employee they're good at something. Ask them for advice on how to solve this problem. And then go get lunch. Because we often make these things really big initiatives. And we're going to do this whole thing. And sometimes it comes down to the having meetings about meetings about meetings or all that. It's sometimes it's it brings me back. There's this commercial I kept seeing a couple of years ago, there's just I don't know, people walking through a city, there's a trash can, there's a piece of trash next to the trash can. And everyone's walking by rightfully so disgusted with the trash. Oh, look at that. Look at these people just leaving trash. You know, five people walk by rightfully so. Oh, look at that trash. 
Finally, somebody walks by, picks it up, puts it in the trash can. So the people, the first people were the meetings. <laughs> the next are the people that are saying, look, yeah, this has changed. Well, why don't we just do something and just act? And it's really, it really can be a lot easier than it is. And something you said earlier, again, it brings me back to a quote in a book. I can't remember what book. And it was uh, organizations never have the time or the resources to do it right, but they always have the time and the resources to do it again because they don't want to do it right the first time, which is quite interesting. Tom, I don't know exactly if I answered any of your questions, but that's what I got. And it was entertaining. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Jeremy touched on some of the things that I, I wanted to uh, bring up and that one of those things is, is preparing your team with low risk opportunities before you need to have them do a major solution, right? So that they're used to taking small risks and succeeding. Um, and if they fail, it's not, it's not the end of the world or crisis in a company and those kinds of things. So just preparing them with those small opportunities and, and used to taking some initiative on that level is, um, is really important and, and really one of the ways that you prepare um, for the future. And I love what Jeremy said, because one of the things that as a leader, you don't really need to do know everything anymore and you can't know any, everything anymore, but you just need to know how to get the best out of people. And so if you can master that art, then you're way ahead of so many others. As far as the community piece where you were, Tom, where you were talking about, what do we do if everybody wants to come back into the, or they want you to come back into the office? The millennials are really, or the, the Gen Zs and so forth that are looking to come back for the social aspect of it, they don't, that doesn't mean it needs to be a social gathering within your organization. If we go ahead and create the communities in the cities or whatever, where they can go work um, remotely, it doesn't have to be with your employees. And to, then they can get that sense of community and social interaction um, without coming, traveling, you know, 45 minutes or, or whatever. And I think that one of the gaps in our, in our society is, you know, the, the religious organizations, the churches and so forth are, are shrinking. And, but one of the reasons that people, because people aren't buying into the religious concepts the way that they used to, but one of the things that people loved about their church community was that it was a community, a supportive community. And so I think that's a huge opportunity for churches is to do things that create some sense of community without the religious um, dogma. Yeah, you're already doing it and you're doing it well. So maybe it's time for a change once again. Um, Brendan, let's go to you. So I wanted to touch on something that was interesting that Jeremy brought up about this concept of having meetings to have meetings. I actually worked someplace where we had to have a meeting about how we had too many meetings and then we had to schedule a meeting to then uh, summarize what we had in that meeting about too many meetings. And it's just this infinite paradox that just continues and spirals out of control. Um, but as far as getting to develop these employees, you really have to get them involved in these projects and it really needs to be a collaborative effort um, and then, you know, starting them out with little exposure to certain things and then giving them, you know, a little bit to bite off before you give them more. And I think that's what managers struggle with is that, okay, you want to eventually get them to do 100% of a project a year from now. So you got to get them to give you 10% of this project now. 
in a couple months, 25% of this project, a couple months down the line, maybe you bump it up to 75, depending on that progress point. But that requires thought and effort. And so many people in these managerial positions just go, all right, the 10% is not enough. I'll just do it myself. Well, the 10% helps. It's, it's 10% more time back to you. And I don't think enough people are looking at it that way. And that's that's truly the best way to develop somebody, um, especially if their skills are, are still being learned. And it's just giving them a little bit to build up their confidence, because ultimately this is taking a psychological approach. Confidence is going to be the most important part of their progress and success. Well, let me ask you this, Brendan, because you know you, you have the frontline experience here, but what happens when, because I've seen situations where the leader allows the employees to take on those smaller projects and prove themselves. But when it comes to that one or two big projects a year, they're going, well, it's, this is a major project, so I, I have to take over now. So how do you have that conversation with them to go, you've been training your employees all year long on these smaller projects. It's now time for you to take a step back on these major ones. Because the leaders are feeling that if it does go wrong, it's their position that's on the line. So how do you have that conversation? I think leaders take too much of an approach of that they're a high-end uh, racing car and they need to build themselves under pressure, which is fine. But it, it really needs to be more of an approach of, of gradually getting things into place. So as you gradually give them those tasks, yes, that's a major assignment, but that major assignment is going to have little tasks to it. And any little bit of time that you can, and again, the commodity I'm functioning on is time. Any little bit of time that you can give off to somebody else, as well as the other commodity is their learning experience, their training and their development, it's going to be beneficial to you as the manager, it's gonna be beneficial to that employee. And that's, that's how you build up your team and that's how you build confidence in your team for themselves, as well as for yourself, knowing that I can go to this person and they can do it. Thank you very much for that. Lee, let's go to you. You know, just to, to kind of piggyback off of what he said, the um, takes a lot of dedication and determination and patience to give up that control and to train the people to do these things. And a lot of times uh, it's not necessarily micromanagement, not intentional. It's <clears throat> impatience. I don't have time to sit here and take to teach you how to do this. It's faster for me to just do it. And, you know, and there's, there's there's so many factors in play there because, okay, so now I'm keeping something I could give away, which is increasing my frustration. It's increasing my stress. It's, you know, it's increasing my, my workload and, and probably frustration of if only somebody else could just do this. And, you know, what, and then, the, you know, without realizing the paradox of, well, they could, if you show them. And so the patience it takes because yeah the first time you you when you teach somebody the first couple of times it will be excruciating it is much slower than you doing it yourself and when you have to go and you go okay let me show this to you again no no click there no no not there click there and you know it, it's almost like trying to teach my parents something on the computer i mean you just no 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 click there and you have to do it until they get it and it's it's hard you know, because most of us are not very patient. I mean, I know that that is a challenge that I have. And so taking the time to do that can be very, very taxing and very stressful. And you have to keep that back in mind that, yeah, this sucks right now. But when when Bobby gets it, he's got it. And I don't have to do it anymore. 
And because I don't want to do it. I don't like doing it. And, you know, here you go, Bobby. I heard you for a reason. And, you know, and so a lot of times people just give up. They get frustrated. They're like, oh, give me that. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody doing that on a, you know, a TV show or something where somebody's, they're just, they're just, they just can't stand it. Somebody, don't give me that and let me do it. And it's so hard to sit there a lot of times and watch someone fail and uh, fail over and over and over again, you know, and, you know, watching the toddler try to walk and, you know, and, you know, it's, it's tough. And, you know, quite frankly, not everybody is up to the task. Uh, they, I mean, they probably could be with a little training themselves, but naturally, I don't think the human condition is really very patient. And so without that being part of your toolkit, you're not going to be very successful at letting go of micromanagement. And it will annoy the fool out of you that you're micromanaging in a lot of cases, but you have to let it go. And so a lot of times this is a failure on the leader's part, not the people's part, because, okay, yeah, they're not getting it. Well, yeah, they're not getting it because you didn't show them and you didn't show them again and you didn't show them for the fifth time because they need that. And, uh, you know, I know I've struggled with that at times, too. But then, you know, I have to remind myself, I don't want to do this. I want to give this to you. I think everyone should be asking themselves, is my workplace a comedy or a very dark drama? Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I, I like what, what Lee just said, um, and I wanted to draw the analogy and without diminishing the adult learning process. But if you look at a child um, and they're getting ready to crawl, you know, if you look at the the progression of people through their position is as they gain more or take on or are given more responsibilities, you can draw that perspective from um, a, a baby learning to crawl and then the steps and how many times they fall down before they're good at taking steps and then they try the stairs and then they get better at that. And um, you're usually there just to catch them if they fall, not tell them what how to move their arms and legs. And so, you know, soon if you let them go, then they will be, you know, crossing the street by themselves. And so if you can put it in that perspective, when you're giving adults the opportunity, and also you don't have to tell a baby it's time to crawl. They tell you, right? And there is some parallel with adults in your workforce that when they are ready, they will want to take on those new responsibilities. You need to be aware of those signals and provide them those opportunities. But but I think the fear on in both as a parent and a leader is they won't need me one day. My <laughs> yeah, that's the point of leadership. That's the whole point. And you know, the other thing too is, is how do you while giving them a sense of purpose, if you've communicated the organizational purpose and you've aligned their career path with the organizational purpose, doing what needs to be done for the organization will automatically have a sense of purpose for them. Jeremy, let's go to you. Linda Ann, I think you were saying it, like referring to someone else, like Tom for Tom's last question. If you don't, something like, yeah, you might think they might, they won't need you, but if you're not developing your your people, then you, there will be no one to fill your spot. Therefore, no one will want you to get higher. Or maybe you said it was Brendan's point made a long time ago. Does this that ring was a bell? Lee. Lee, that's Lee. Lee, got it. All right. Very good. Hey, just want to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> this 
study and these studies in the blog I'm going to reference, if you're listening to the podcast or watching the video, it's down in the description. But this particular study, um, I'm going to refer something real quick. This is another because they're long titles, but we're taking information from it. So we've got to give some credit. It's from the HR Science Forum. Are you really a title? Are you really doing good things in your boss's eyes? Interactive effects of employee innovative work behavior and leader member exchange on supervisory performance ratings. Again, these are never short, short titles. I want I pulled out something that I thought was interesting and then some uh, uh, insight behind it. So in the general discussion of this particular article, I'll read verbatim. Across two multi-source studies, we found that pl- employees who gauged, engaged and innovative behaviors received higher performance ratings and their from their supervisors. Okay. Why is that important? That's important because if you're a supervisor, do you really want to have to give out bad performance ratings? If you're giving out bad performance rate ratings, it means a you're not it doesn't make you look as good. But B, now you have to maybe have an employee development plan. Now you have to justify that. Plus, if you're giving out bad performance ratings, it probably means that your time spent with the employee isn't the best time. And it's not the most fun having that employee as an employee. So if you're getting employees to solve your organizational challenges that you just can't solve or would like to help with their insight because you're allowing them to be and encouraging them to be innovative, here you go. Again, we found that employees who engaged in innovative behaviors received higher performance ratings from their supervisors. What's the takeaway? If you're a supervisor, give your employees some some problems to solve and encourage them to be innovative and everybody wins. The next line here says, however, this relationship was stronger for high LMX employees than those in low, low LMX relationships. What that means is LMX, that's leader member exchange theory, super it's it's almost like in layman's terms, it's playing favorites. There are certain employees who you give more attention, more and more resources. There are in-groups and out-groups, just like we have in our own lives, with, with friends, with family. So it's the same thing that happens in the workplace. So if you're a leader, you, just be mindful of this. Who are you giving more attention to? And who are you giving more resources and accolades to? And try to even that out a little bit. And being mindful of that, you can also build up and pull up those other employees. Tom and Linda Ann, you were mentioning about those employees who might be those those, uh, sleeper success stories because they're just not prone to speak up or beat their own drum, toot their own horn kind of deal. But they may, may be ready, like Linda Ann was saying. And there's a lot of, Tom, you speak a lot, rightfully so, about the different or the concerns that that leaders are going to have. I'm going to pull it back, and now I'm I'm going to go, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what's in this what's in this blog, and then I want to give some insight behind it. The again, the gist. Here's the gist. The gist. Basically, we're talking about here today: asking employees for solutions to your unsolvable problems. Even better, asking employees whom you would never think to ask. Asking employees who you would never think to ask for your solutions to the, these unsolvable problems. Now, what are some of the legitimate concerns? We can't take employees off the floor, even like one to three hours to solve a problem. Even if we could, the scheduling would be too hard. Well, think, how much is this problem really costing you each day, month, or year? It, it could be 100K a year. I mean, is it employee re- something as simple as a employee retention issue? That's a lot. So how much would three hours uh, off the floor be for one 
employee or even eight employees versus these hundreds of thousands of dollars that the problem is actually costing. And the other concern, employees that are not being asked might feel slighted. Again, think back to the whole LMX theory, make sure you're not playing favorites, but bottom line is you can't please everyone. There's a couple ideas that are listed in the in the blog to, to get around this a little bit, but you also have to think in terms of this because you can't please everybody, but we can try. But look, it's gonna elevate and motivate those who you do help to choose. So you have to ask yourself, is it better than what you're doing? And will it help some people? How much have you been missing out in terms of the salary that you're paying employees? You would pay employees with all this knowledge, all the skills, all these talents, passions, ambitions, and then they come to work for you. And half a lot of that is not being used. It's like what we hear, what do we, we only use like 6% of our brain. George Costanza uses what 1% of his brain, I guess is what Jerry said. But how much are we really getting out of employees in terms of percentage of what they could be offering? So are we missing out on this salary investment that we're providing? Um, and it, think about the sense of just simply the sense of purpose. Another concern might be, all right, well, what if we ask these employees for solutions and there's no viable solution that they come up with and maybe it's a waste of time or maybe they have just really, we think they're stupid ideas. That's likely not gonna be the outcome, it's possible, but think about the result, what you do get out of it. How did those employees and the organization benefit simply from the process? Is there more camaraderie? Is there a greater sense of purpose? Is there Are there tighter bonds with these people that you're getting to uh, come together and brainstorm? Maybe in a quick, re forming a quick response team? Is there networking, a boost of morale, energy? Also the concern, won't I be giving up power if I do this? Yes, going back to Kuzis and Posner, authors of the Leadership Challenge, paradox of power to become powerful you have to give power away another concern trade secrets what if we have to let them in on trade secrets great have them sign an nda some kind of confidentiality agreement um you're the closest referee make that call think about political capital political political inner circles in your organizations some organizations have gone months some organizations have gone decades without feasible solutions to some of the problems and they just keep putting like putting back on the back burner think way what political capital you have in the organization whether or not it would be uh interesting or feasible or beneficial to spend it on on something like this that can have a great impact i i i think this is all great but i have one fear pops into my mind and it's that organizations who try this but they don't do it well um and especially around the, the idea of communication. So if I all of a sudden am a leader and I'm going to adopt this and I call my employees, my team into a meeting and I'm going to go, I'm now going to get you guys to solve all the problems. Um, but I don't really sort of let them in on what's on this new method of why we want to work. It, it can feel as an employee that what, what are they doing? First of all, why are we solving their problems? And second of all, this kind of sounds like a way to get us all in trouble and replace us. And you, know, and you talk a lot about you know, having those simple conversations, going on to the factory floor, and that if you don't give people information, it creates a void and people will fill the void with their own thoughts and ideas. So is there best practices on how to do this? Um, that's such a good question that I'm about to defer to answer to another time because that requires a very thoughtful answer. 
I don't know the answer to that because yes, it can be serious sometimes. If you've got a toxic culture, it can feel like a trap. Part of me wants to say though, that that employees who are thinking that just check your line at the stinking thinking door. And when people are asked and, and given a little bit of, Hey, here's a little bit of information what's going on. You're really good at this. Could you help us solve the problem? I'm guessing just simple as that employees are going to be like, yeah, I'd be glad to help. People love to help. People love to share their knowledge. And especially if you say you're really good at this, could you help us solve this problem? I think the benefits far outweigh the risks. And I think that you have to be a very poor communicator for that to go wrong. And if you may be a very poor communicator, so think of how you're communicating the message first and how it will be received. If you are, if, if you're out there and you believe you're a poor communicator, just test it on yourself in the mirror, whatever your messaging is, or test it on someone in a low stakes situation. It's about, again, taking that step where you can just get rid of so many headaches and do so much good for morale and productivity and everything else. But Tom, that's a good question. Back to you. Well, and and everyone from my experience thinks they're a brilliant communicator and it just ain't so. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Well, first, I want to say to anyone listening, if you think you're a brilliant communicator, you need to talk to Tom. But, um, oh, so much I can tie together there. So I'm going to try to make this really quick. I know we're getting short. Um, the first thing I thought of when we were talking just now was the, the bowl of frog thing. You know, you throw that frog in the boiling water, out he goes. So employees are kind of the same. You bring them all in a room and you go, hey, we got a problem. Solve it. Well, you just throw them in the boiling water and they're like, I am out of here. So because of all the things you just mentioned, you know, you setting me up. Why am I solving your problems? Yada, 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 yada. But if you do, if you do it in pieces, so you go in and you say, OK, I need you to help me with this small problem or this portion of this problem. And you do it in little pieces and you get them used to that. And you, you know, you start getting that buy in. I mean, it's going to take some time to do it correctly, but the communication and the, and the process is, is so key because of everything you just said about the way they're going to react to it. Um, and then just to tie back to some other things and, you know, like so many times we tie things to other conversations we've had with the, the, uh, the bad performance reviews. I mean, God, this was horrible in the Navy. You got all these people that, you know, they could barely breathe without being told. And they're getting the glowing review because nobody wants to do the hard work of training them and giving them the evaluation they actually earned. They don't want to be the bad guy. So, uh, which also comes back to the performance review. If you do an annual review and it's a surprise, you're doing it wrong. You need to approach your people all year long and do the development. If they're they're messing up, it shouldn't be a surprise at the end of the year. They should know and they should be working on the way. So that you can honestly give them a good review at the end because they have corrected all these wonderful things that they were doing. And this also goes back to selection of managers. You know, we've talked about this, where you take the guy who's great at the job and you promote him to supervise the people doing the job. And you don't train him and he doesn't want to be a, a he's not a people person. He doesn't want to be a leader. So he just does not do well. And you, you, you got managing through fear, you've got micromanagement, you got all these things because they don't know how to deal with people, but they sure know how to run that line. So 
you know, you really got to be careful of picking the right people to do the management positions and training them to do the management positions and having them manage the people, not the work. Let the people do their jobs. You work with the people. And if we train the people to actually manage those people, a lot of this goes away because you're allowing them to do the work. You're allowing them to solve problems. You're getting their buy-in. And, and then, of course, the communication. This is where that, you know, however you do it, if you're on site and you do manage by walking around or if you do regular check-ins on Zoom or however you're doing it, where you talk to people regularly, not just every other week or, you know, big staff meetings or whatever, but talk one-on-one. How's it going? What can I help you with? What issues are you experiencing? Do you need anything that you to do your job? And if you just do that on regular intervals, then none of this comes as a surprise later. And you don't have to pull somebody off the line necessarily for three hours because you talk to them for five minutes here and there and you already know. Good advice. Linda Ann, we've got a couple of minutes left, but let's go to you. Yeah, I wanted to make a comment on the, the poor communication issue and, and so forth. And one thing that I've noticed is sometimes people, managers especially, are, are poor communicators because they're frustrated or under an enormous amount of stress. So they their communications tend to reflect whatever their fr- frustration is or is abrupt or, or something like that. One thing that you can do is have one of your team members help you with that communication. If you need to write a letter, and I've done this before, where I went, you would do this much more diplomatically. Here's what it needs to say. Can you write that for me so that I don't piss more people off? You know, and um, you can do that. You can have them do a team. If you're going to present something in a meeting, you can have them do do that uh, with you. And while you're working on your communication efforts, maybe it'll take some of the stress, back it off a little bit, and, and, and you can evolve in your communication as you're working through and helping others uh, advance. That is some great advice. And with that, Jeremy, we're down to about a minute left, but um, we do have some upcoming events. We're going to, I see there's nothing between today and uh, the 29th of December, uh, but you want to give us a highlight of what's going to happen then and maybe into the new year. Oh, I suppose, Tom. First, Merry Christmas to everyone. I see there's some festivity here today and on the 29th. How to rebrand yourself as a better leader to your intact team will be on the 29th. And stay tuned. Deborah Colazzo and Linda Ann are in development for a leadership summit. Am I saying it right, Linda Ann? That will be ready to rock and roll. Give us a month and a, a month and a year. Uh, February, 2023. Yes. So we'll start getting some information on that out soon. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks everyone. Counting out in one, two, three, four, wait, counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.